from the need to change an industry's attitude to mental health issues to the opportunities offered by digital marketing. Protection Review's 2019 conference was an event brimming with challenge and ideas for growth. Let's grab a coffee and I'll talk you through the highlights. Welcome to episode 215 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Hello and welcome to the show. I'd just like to take a moment to thank you so much for downloading or streaming the Marketing and Finance podcast. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plugging me and my guests into your earphones. This week, however, it's just me and the mic. And it's a bit of a special episode, a deep dive into the financial services industry, and in particular, the protection sector of the financial services industry. And if you're listening and you don't work in financial services, please don't rush off. Some of the issues that I'm going to discuss today about mental health and about advertising actually apply to all industries. So hopefully you'll stick around, even though this is going to be quite a specialist episode. So first of all, just a little bit of background about Protection Review. Now, I've been working as Marketing Director for Protection Review for about the last four years. So this was my fourth Protection Review conference in the Marketing Director role. But the Protection Review has been around for about 15 years and is probably one of the most prestigious events in the UK financial services calendar. Held each year in July at the Landmark Hotel in London during the day, it's a conference debating hot topics, debating important industry issues. In the evening, it's a glitzy dinner and awards ceremony, and probably one of the most popular awards ceremonies in the UK at the moment. And believe me, after a day speaking and being involved in the conference, it's always nice in the evening to chill out a little bit, have a glass of wine, have a good meal, and celebrate the success of everybody in the industry. This year, at the conference, the overarching theme of the conference was collaboration. Collaboration. For example, collaboration between product providers and financial advisors or collaboration between product providers and companies offering practical and emotional support services. But for me, the two sessions that stood out and the ones I want to talk to you today about on the podcast were the ones on mental health and advertising. So let's have a look at each of those in turn and we'll start with mental health. Now, over the last couple of years, admittedly, within all industries, not just financial services, all industries, there's been more of a focus on mental health and well-being, thinking about the implications of work-life balance on the mental health of our employees and our colleagues and our customers. And it's obviously extremely positive that the industry is starting to take a really close look at mental health issues. But to be honest, it's probably an area that's been sadly neglected over the years. There's been a lot of focus, especially at the underwriting stage. So when somebody applies for an insurance product and the insurance company wants to ask them questions about their their past health and their occupation, quite a lot of 
Detailed work has been done around conditions like heart disease, cancer, that sort of thing, so that insurance companies can make an accurate assessment of the risk that they're taking on when they insure somebody. But mental health perhaps hasn't had that detailed treatment. Perhaps the industry hasn't really given it the focus that it deserves. And that's possibly led to high ratings and badly worded questions and just not enough customer focus in this area. To bring these issues alive, the keynote speaker for the Protection Review Conference 2019 was Helen Undy from the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute. Now, her presentation was superb and quite sobering at the same time. I learned a lot just from listening to what Helen had to say about the state of mental health in the United Kingdom. This is what the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute's overarching vision is. We're working for a world in which the vicious cycle of money and mental health problems is broken so that we are all so that we all have an equal chance of financial security regardless of our mental health and everyone's mental health can flourish regardless of their financial circumstances some of the stats she was quoting were quite alarming for example people experiencing mental health problems are 3.5 times as likely to be in problem debt half of adults with a debt problem also have mental health issues 1.5 million people in england are currently experiencing both. Unworryingly, over a 100,000 people in problem debt attempt to take their lives every year in England. Nearly a quarter of people who attempted suicide last year were in problem debt. So there's a massive link between somebody's financial health and their mental health. And there are some things that you just don't realise. For example, one potential trigger of suicidal thoughts in people with debt problems is the actual debt letter, the debt collection letter that companies send out. Now, you might think, well, that's just the company being horrible. But actually, the wording of some of these letters is actually prescribed by law. And it's the wording, the sort of heavy-handed threat of court action, threat of repossession, threat of sending people around to take your possessions away, that can actually affect people's mental health. And it was really sobering to hear Helen talk about these issues, because to be perfectly honest, it's not the sort of thing that had really occurred to me before. Helen then talked about the attitude of insurance product providers to people who disclose mental health issues. And this often results in massive loadings on their policies. So they might get an initial quote for, say, £50 a month, but that doubles or trebles once they've disclosed their mental health issues. And sometimes, and sometimes these extra amounts charged don't seem to have any basis on statistical reality. It's almost as if the insurance companies pluck the figure out of thin air. She also mentioned the questions used by insurance companies. Do they come across as being particularly cold? I mean, most people will have difficulty exploring and talking about these issues with their close friends and family. Imagine how hard it must be to fill in badly worded, cold questions. Again, this really got me thinking. Recently, I was applying for some insurance of my own, and I saw that one of the questions on the application form was, do you ever suffer from anxiety? And I had to really sit back and think very carefully about this. Because, let's face it, I do a lot of travel. I'm off to Europe, off around the world doing speaking engagements, going down to London frequently to visit my customers. I often feel anxious when I get on aircraft. It's something that I've lived with for 25 years. 
I don't particularly like being in an aircraft. I don't particularly like flying. So I always feel a little bit nervous, a little bit anxious when I get on an aircraft. Now, if I'm flying once a week at least, maybe twice a week, then I'm getting anxious once or twice a week. Do I disclose that on my application form as an example of anxiety? And if I did disclose it, would that insurance company then slap on a huge extra amount of premium because I've disclosed that anxiety? Or is the anxiety that they're looking for not that which is associated with getting on aircraft? I think it's all a bit of a grey area. And this is why this is why it causes some of these issues. After Helen's keynote speech, we heard from other speakers who told their own personal stories about how they have grappled with mental health issues and about the attitude that they have faced from insurance companies. And I think Helen's plea to the industry, Helen's plea to the industry was to review the underwriting process for people with mental health issues, review the questions that the insurance industry asks, review the implications of the answers to those questions. She also thought we should share best practice to improve understanding of exclusions and product innovation to improve inclusion for people with pre-existing conditions. Even though this was a conference focused on the financial services industry in general and protection in particular, I think there are lessons that we can draw from this conference across all industries. Think about the mental health and well-being of your customers, of your people, the wording in your products, the wording in questions that you ask, the implications are there all around us. We, we were just thinking after the Protection Review Conference, we always put on everybody's chair a feedback form for the conference and each speaker, we ask the audience to rate them from poor to excellent. Now, somebody pointed out you could actually be creating anxiety amongst your speakers by asking people to rate them from poor to excellent. Somebody might actually get quite concerned and quite anxious about the fact that somebody might mark them as a poor. And from the Protection Review's point of view, we absolutely agreed with that bit of feedback. And we're going to have a look at the feedback form for next year to see how we can improve it, make the wording much better so that it doesn't inadvertently cause any anxiety issues amongst people in the future. A fascinating, fascinating and very timely, hard-hitting session. So let's move on to the second one that really caught my attention, and that was one about advertising. And this was during my slot of the day. So I was the chairman of the Hot Topics section. So I went up on stage and I wanted to ask everybody in the room a question about marketing, actually a question specifically about advertising. But before I could ask that question, there was another important question to get out of the way first. So I asked everybody in the room who worked in marketing to put their hands up. And in a room of about 300 odd people, I reckon it was probably between 15 and 20% of the people in the room put their hands up and said that they worked in marketing. So then I said, everybody else in the room, i.e. not the marketing people, I want you to put your hand up if you think that advertising is annoying. And 80% of the remaining people in the room put their hands up. They thought that advertising oblique marketing was annoying. Then I turned back to the marketing people, the 20% in the room, and said to them, I want you to now 
answer the same question, but I want you to answer that question from the point of view of you being a customer, not a marketer, you being a customer. Do you ever find marketing, advertising annoying? What do you think happened? The majority of those marketing people put up their hands. Even the marketing people in the room think that sometimes marketing can be annoying. And for me, that's a massive, massive revelation. And we explored those annoying elements in a little bit more detail. Of course, adverts interrupting your enjoyment of a TV program came quite high in the list of annoying things that marketing people do. Now, in fairness, these days, you can use a remote control, you can use your Sky Plus, you can buffer a TV show, and when the ad break comes along, you can zip through the adverts and immediately go straight back to watching it. But if you haven't had the foresight to buffer it, you get to a really important, really exciting part of your Downton Abbey experience or your Game of Thrones experience, and all of a sudden, bang, there is the advertising break and you've got five minutes to wait or longer before you can get back into the action. It's annoying. We looked at email. You know, you sign up for an email list. Maybe you're interested in a webinar. Maybe you're interested in downloading a booklet. And sometimes before you know it, you're being bombarded with sales communications. Buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. I I tell a famous example of me signing up for a webinar. And in the days leading up to the webinar, I was getting a daily email. And then that daily email became a twice daily email, a three times daily email until the day before. For the webinar, it was an hourly email. And in the end, I was so fed up with the emails that this guy was sending me that I hit the unsubscribe button. And don't you just wish that the unsubscribe button was a great big red one that you can hammer with your fist? And I actually didn't end up listening to his webinar. I was interested in it, but it was so annoying how often he reminded me the webinar was coming up that in the end, I was not interested anymore. And we also talked about pop-up ads. Now, media news websites are notoriously bad for this. You know, you go onto a newspaper website or whatever it is, and all these little video pop-ups keep invading your screen, and you have to close them down by clicking on the cross in the corner. It's almost like a, a modern version of Space Invaders. The ad pops up, you zap it. Another one pops up in the other corner, you zap it. Another one pops up down there in the corner, you zap it. You spend the whole time not reading the article, but zapping the pop-up ads. It's annoying. It's annoying. Now, the reason for this is that I wanted to talk about whether the protection industry should actually be doing more advertising, doing more marketing. But I don't want the industry to start doing it from that annoying perspective. Now, about 10 years ago, the CEO of LifeSearch, which is one of the biggest protection insurance financial advisors in the UK, he advocated that the industry club together put up millions of pounds in order to do generic TV advertising. Generic TV advertising to encourage the public to buy protection. Now, that never actually happened because the industry just couldn't agree on the goals. They couldn't agree on the funding. They couldn't even agree on the message. I was always a little bit sceptical about that whole TV thing for the the reasons that I've already discussed. It's intrusive and it interrupts. 
But the world's changed now. Ten years ago, there weren't really that many other options available for companies to advertise. Now, ten years on, we have all sorts of digital platforms. We have social media. We have Google Ads. The ability to get our messages out there quite cheaply and quite effectively. So I had it in my mind that maybe... This is a debate the industry should have again. Should we start to think about generic advertising, not on a TV platform, but on a social media platform or other digital medium? And we'd invited Ian Henderson from AML, one of the UK's leading ad agencies, to come and talk about this subject. And funnily enough, before the conference started, I was talking Ian through my introduction where I was going to talk about this whole annoying marketing thing. And he says to me, do you know what the most annoying advert in the UK is as voted for by the public? And I had a few guesses and I didn't get it right. And he said it's the see it, say it, sorted advert that you see at train stations. You know, if you see a suspicious bag or you see a suspicious package, you're supposed to see say it by phoning the British Transport Police number and they'll come along and sort it. And, and you know, it's funny, that advert really annoys me. It's always there. You see it everywhere you go and and it's over the announcements on the tannoy, it's on posters, it's in trains, it's everywhere. See it, say it, sorted. And Ian sat there and let me have a really good rant about this advert, see it, say it, sorted. And then he said, We were responsible for that advert, (laughs) and I felt a little bit guilty at that point for having had a rant. But I suppose it is an example of where an annoying advert can be a successful advert. But I digress. Ian came on stage and gave us a great run-through of the differences between the marketing tools that we have today, digital marketing through social media, through search and other platforms, and traditional advertising, TV, billboards, that sort of thing. He described traditional advertising as top-down. So you'd have a big brand, and and I called up an example of a a fairly popular advertising campaign from the 80s by Allied Dunbar, a company that no longer exists now. But that's an example of top-down. It's a brand creating awareness of its brand and trying to get people to understand the need that it's meeting. But Ian's hypothesis is that today, with all this new technology, it's more of a bottom-up approach. It's all about creating a movement. And he quoted brands like Monzo and Brewdog and the hashtag MeToo campaign as examples of advertising campaigns that have become movements steeped in emotion and steeped in storytelling. There is definitely an opportunity for the industry to revisit the potential of a generic advertising campaign. And indeed, I asked the question of one of the panellists in our session as to whether they thought that the industry should club together and come up with some sort of generic advertising campaign based upon the digital tools at our disposal today. (laughs) And I'm not going to put that person on the spot publicly in the podcast, but that individual answered my question with just one word, a resounding yes. So what would that advertising campaign look like? How would we use it to create emotion? How would we use it to tell stories? How would we use it to engage with the customers? And that's the key, engage with customers, not enrage. I started the session by pointing out that most people find marketing annoying. Even most of the marketers find marketing that's done to them annoying. And if we, 
as consumers don't like it when marketers do that annoying stuff to us, why would we as marketers think that it's okay for us to do that to our customers? So how can we come up with a generic campaign that can engage the customer rather than enrage the customer? Well, I hope you've enjoyed that little canter through some of the issues that came up at the Protection Review Conference 2019. As I say, a very specialist conference, a focus on financial services, a focus on protection insurance, but I think some of those issues surrounding mental health and some of those issues surrounding advertising apply to all industries. So food for thought for everybody. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance podcast. Next week, it'll be back to the interview format. I've got a great guest talking about Facebook Messenger bots. Until then, have a great week and I'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.